Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, how's everybody doing? Yeah? You're good? How many of you guys are like enjoying uh, this weather, yeah? Okay. Um, me neither. Well, I do want to... I do want to show you something real quick. I know this is a little bit more of announcements, but I want to show you a calendar uh, of what we're doing in March and April because we have a lot of stuff going on in the next few weeks that we want everybody to be aware of and we want everybody to kind of be like all in on. We've been saying for a few months now, really since the beginning of the year when we started our Bible reading plan, which hopefully you're doing that, um, that we just felt like the next 14, 15 weeks that there was going to be a lot of things that were really significant in the life of our church as God continues to help us dig deeper, if you will. So real quick, a few things. The first one is uh, at the end of March, we are doing a night of worship. Um, special guest Shane, Far- Shane Farmer and Brandon Grissom, they're part of, if you were with us in November, we had Shane come in and he spoke um, and shared some stories about revival and it was really, really powerful and impactful. And we're having a night of worship where we're, we're gathering worship. Brandon's the worship leader with Shane at his church in Colorado. And he's going to help lead worship that night. It's going to be a special night. And then he's going to, of course, uh, share that night as well. That's a Wednesday night. The very next day on Thursday, we're having another event called A Day With. And if you don't know what A Day With is, the idea behind that is we wanted to create a day with other ministry leaders in our cities. And the reason that we felt like, we just felt like God called us to be a voice of unity and a voice and a church that's saying, hey, how can we come together in unity and prayer we haven't figured out how to do it right. There's a lot of people that have that same heart. So we're just taking steps into it. Here's what I'd say about it, even though it's designed for ministry leaders. The last one we had was so fantastic. If that's something that interests you, like, hey, getting together for four hours on a Thursday morning to pray and worship and lean into revival, if that sounds fun to you, um, then join us. We, everybody in this church is invited uh, to be a part of that morning. And so I know that's a Thursday, but it is worth, if you like have a flexible schedule, it's worth arranging and coming to. It's a really great thing. And then also coming up on April 1st through 21st, we are doing three weeks, 21 days of 24-7 prayer. We'll be talking about that in a few weeks um, and giving you more insight. If you were with us a year ago, we did this for two weeks and it was powerful. It's really what launched so much of what God's doing, we believe, in our church. And um, we're excited to step back into a season of 24-7 prayer, which means we literally have someone praying 24 hours a day in our church, not you as for 24 hours, but one hour shifts for 24 hours, Everybody, someone's praying for three weeks straight, and it's kind of just really work through that, and so we're excited. April 14th is a baptism Sunday. If you have given your life to Jesus and you've never been baptized, uh, we are having a special gathering that morning, which is Palm Sunday, um, for, for baptism. And so if you would like more information about that, on our app or on our website, you can sign up for baptism, and uh, we'll contact you, follow up with you, and we'll talk about what that means. But if you've given your life to Jesus and you've never been baptized, I would say now is the time to do it. And so I hope that you'll do that. Um, also coming up, April 17th, so lots going on. Kind of we're, in, we're getting close to Easter. That's Passion Week, if you will, April 14th through the 21st. We're going to have a night of worship. Um, obviously, we're in 24-7 prayer. We're going to have a time together. So we're leaning in, if you can't tell to prayer and worship and uh, hopeful for what God's going to do. And then Easter Sunday, we're at the Tower Theater again this year. It'll be at 10.30, one service. Um, and it was amazing last year, of course, and this year I know it's even going to be better. So, And then April 28th, um, 
This is kind of the end of this season that we've been leaning into, a night of worship at the Tower Theater for the city. We're going to be inviting all of our day with friends to join us for a night of worship. Um, so it's not just for OKC community. The reason we're doing that on April 28th, which is a Sunday, we are not having AM services because there's a marathon, all right? And the marathon uh, basically doesn't let anybody into this part of the city. And so we can't ever have church on Sunday mornings um, on marathon day. So we're like doing something creative and we're going to have night church. So you're supposed to come to church that night. And then you're supposed to bring friends and we're going to extend this to all of our church friends across the city. And uh, we already have four churches that I have good friendships with that have said, hey, we're going to participate like with our as much of our church as we can. So it's not going to be just us. Uh, we are going to have other churches participating. I'll talk more about that, share those, who those churches are um, in the coming weeks. So good stuff. If you need a go back to that real quick. Well, never mind. Don't go back because you're going to have to go through the whole building and don't worry about it. If you need those dates, they're all on our website, all right? They're all on the app, another good reason to download. All right. Good stuff? Yeah. Really good stuff. I'm excited. Well, the other day, my son Grayson, um, <laughs> my son Grayson had another moment where he told us a little bit about what his career choices, uh, what he's been pondering on thinking about. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, I said that he either wanted to be a mailman, a pastor, or a uh, mascot. And, <clears throat> well, the other day he updated us and he said, I think I might want to work at Starbucks. And uh, he said, and you know, when you come and get your coffee on Sunday mornings, you can just, you know, see me then. Which I started thinking about this and thought, well, he's not going to church on Sunday mornings. He's going to be making coffee on Sunday mornings. So he's, I mean, he's gone from pastoring to not even going to church anymore. <laughs> making coffee. So I don't know what we got going on there, but um, I just want to keep you updated on my, my son's life and his career. I'm glad you're here today and you're not somewhere making coffee, although there's nothing wrong with making coffee. It's just this is better, right? Being together in here and uh, I, I believe you're here for a purpose and I believe God wants to do something in you today that is significant and meaningful because I just believe that he wants to do something in your life every day that's significant and meaningful. And I believe when we're paying attention and when we're listening and when we're sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing, there's something significant that can happen every day of our life. And so when we gather as believers, it's only more of an opportunity, more of a heightened uh, opportunity for us to hear what the Spirit is saying, what he's doing in us, and for us to respond to it. And so I don't say that lightly is what I'm trying to say. Oh, you're here for a reason. So glad you're I say it because I believe that God wants to do something deeply within us. And so I want to talk today about what Jesus called us to do. <laughs> That's like a really big statement, right? What did Jesus actually call us to do? I mean, I know that he called us to do many, many things. There's a lot of things we could talk about, about what Jesus said. There's a lot of really important instruction in the Gospels and in the Bible that, that we are supposed to go and be as people. Um, but ultimately, Jesus was calling people to continue the work that he was doing, right? This is ultimately what he called us to do. And if you're like, what was the work that Jesus was doing? What was he sent to do? Luke 4.43 kind of will set us in motion for where we're headed today. But this is what he said in Luke 4, verse 43. He said, but he said, I must proclaim the good news, the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns, because that is why I was sent. So why was Jesus sent? 
It was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And here's the situation. If you know anything about this story, they're saying, Jesus, don't go. Don't leave us. Would you stay in our town with us? He said, nope, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. I got to keep going. They're like, no, 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 no. But you, gotta, you don't understand. We need you to stay. We, we think you're great. We'll, we'll, you know, he's like, nope, I got to go. And he continually said no to things. And he said yes to things. And he knew the things that he needed to say yes to and the things that he needed to say no to. And it all rooted in his ultimate purpose of why he was sent. And so if you're ever wondering, should I say yes or no to something? Ask yourself the question, does this fulfill my purpose? <laughs> should I say no to this person or should I say yes? Well, Jesus said no and yes based upon why he was sent. And so here he is, and he's saying, this is why I was sent. Jesus wants every man, woman, and child saved by the grace and love of God, entering into the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is about. And this is the ultimate purpose and the ultimate instruction, if you will, that he gave his disciples and that he gave to you and me, right? So three instances I will point to quickly from the ministry of Jesus some of this is like, you guys know this, I get it, but we need to set some groundwork to make sure we're all on the same page. So these are the things we got to say yes to in life, so to speak. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So again, promising the power of his Holy Spirit. And then he calls his disciples to be his witnesses everywhere from their neighborhood to the very ends of the earth. Okay, this is what he says. And then in Luke 10, there's another key moment in the ministry of Jesus, verses one through three. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him, two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. All right, so he sends his disciples, right? This is something that we know, to be workers in his harvest. He tells them to pray earnestly. He tells them to do this. He goes on after this particular, after the verse three, he goes on and gives them instructions on what, how he wants them to do this. And, but he ultimately, what we must grasp is he commissions them. He, he sends people into his big grand story of what he's trying to do in life, right? What he's trying to do and why he was sent. One more instance we must acknowledge of what, what so remember the question was, what did Jesus really call us to do? Like, well, Matthew 28, again, one that most know. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is known as what? The great commission, right, of Jesus. He's placing his purpose on every one of his followers. Go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Now, it's widely agreed upon that the New Testament understanding is that Jesus commissions his people to go and do what he did, right? This, is, this, is a, this has been kind of a widely understood theology about Jesus in the New Testament since, oh, like circa AD 30-ish, right? Like all the way since then. It should be the central purpose to every follower of Jesus. It's common language. So that's the groundwork we got to lay out. It's common language for us to say, what did Jesus call us to do? Call us to make disciples. 
calls to make disciples. And that's common language, right? But then we say around here language like we're bringing life to our city. So when we say bringing life to our city by loving God and living the gospel, we are saying we want to bring Jesus to our city. Because there's nothing more life-giving than Jesus, right? So we want to bring Jesus to our city. We want to be sent out like the 72 were sent out to go and be workers on behalf of Jesus to bring life to our city. We want to usher in the life-giving truth and grace. We want to be peacemakers. We want to be placemakers. We want to be people who, who, who want to be family, yes, but we also want to be an army that is equipped by God for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on our city. That's who we want to be. That's what bringing life to our city is all about, right? So again, in common language, we're talking about making disciples. We're talking about bringing life to our city. So this all to say to a key question that everybody has to ask, how are we doing at that? How are we doing at making disciples? How are we doing at bringing life to our city? How are we doing as a church, as a body of believers? How are you doing? I think to answer that question, um, I'll just say it this way. I believe God wants to increase our attention to this matter. I believe God even wants to break our hearts for people who don't know Jesus. Jesus was constantly, it was constantly referenced in the scriptures that Jesus was Heartbroken, he was compassionate, he wept over people who were far from God. So instead of saying, how are we doing by giving us a grade letter, I'll just say, how are we doing? Well, I believe God wants to increase our attention and he wants to break our hearts for this. I know that, I know that I want that. I want to grow, I want to increase my effectiveness as a worker in his field. I want my heart to be continually broken and softened for people who need Jesus. I want my prayers to be lifting up other people who need Jesus. Does anyone else want to grow in this? Anyone else want to be more effective in this? Anybody else want to actually want their prayers to reflect a heart for the very thing that Jesus called us to do? The very thing that Jesus called us to do. Doesn't, don't you want that to consume you in your life? Because I don't know about you. I don't know if, it, if I'm there all the time. So believe it or not, um, there's a bit of confusion about how to make disciples. I know that's shocking to you. How do we go and bring life to our city? How do we actually do this? How do we evangelize others for the gospel? I mentioned a few weeks ago a study done by um, the, Bar the Barna Research Group. They do a lot of studies for the church. And it was called Reviving Evangelism which I, I love the title, speaking to the need for evangelism, but also what I believe the new work of evangelism that is starting to spring up in our culture today, which you may not be aware of, but there is sort of some new work being done. Um, I have a few interesting things to show you that they found in their study about our culture and actually how, how it's going in our culture. Now, much of this study focuses on millennials, which I know some of you are millennials, because millennials are the current generation that is shaping the culture more than any other generation currently right now. And so in case you're a little foggy on generational research, I'll remind you of where you fall on the generational scale just to make you feel good about yourself today. All right? So generations, we have a few different ones here. Um, you can go to the next one here. Generation, here we go. 
The first one that is the youngest is our Gen Zers, born 1999 through 2015. And so some of you are thinking millennials are teenagers. They are not teenagers, right? So uh, that's Gen Z, which this is the generation the church should be talking a lot about because they are the most disconnected to Jesus on the planet today. Um, they are being raised by Netflix, Google, and YouTube. That's where they find their truth. I'm not kidding. That's where they get on their truth. And so millennials, though, are the next generation. They were born between 1984 and 1998. Now, if you might find other studies that shift these years just slightly, but this is pretty, pretty common. This generation has so much focus, of course, in the last election and a lot of other things. There's a lot of talk about millennials. Um, second largest generation in American history after the boomers grew up on Harry Potter, Twilight, and uh, uh, they invented words like, you know, LOL and FOMO and IDK and BRB and YOLO, you know what I mean? This is what they did for the world, thank you. Gen, Gen X, Gen X is born 1965 to 1983. This is statistically the smartest and coolest generation in American history. JK, JK, we made up that one. Gen X is mostly our 80s and 90s kids, and they literally have um, the least amount of credit in the world, but they've done the most for the world. And when it comes to technology and advancement, that's, I'm not biased, though. They took globalization to a whole new level and creators of most of the content on the Internet, including social media and other things like that. Not all good things, nonetheless things. Boomers. Boomers are born between 1946 and 1964. The biggest generation of American history dominated the landscape of American culture for a long, long time even up until, really up until the millennials sort of started taking over. They are still, though, the leaders in most of business and commerce, hardworking, big dreaming generation, have done a lot to build America. Elders born before 1946, often called the greatest generation alive because of their endurance and dedication to our country through things like World War II, the Korean War, and even the Cold War. Um, they are one of the few generations that, in many ways, has made a really huge sacrifice for what we call our American way of life, right? So enough generational reminiscing, although very fun. Back to this study, reviving evangelism, right? Reviving evangelism. A few signs of where we are culturally with this, with this commissioning that Jesus gave us. Are you guys ready for this? 47%, nearly half of, millennial, of millennials um, say that it is wrong to evangelize. They say it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone who believes differently and hopes that they will one day share the same faith. They just, most millennials actually believe that. Um, but at the same time, here's where it's really odd. Remember I said people are confused about this. At the same time, 65% of millennials believe being a witness about Jesus is part of their faith. By the way, I don't have this on the screen, but 68% believe strongly that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. 82% of adults agree with all these things, so a bigger percentage of the other generations, of course. So one of the most surprising ones, though, is the finding that 51% of Christian churchgoers, churchgoers have never heard of the concept of the Great Commission. I know that's really weird, but you've probably grown up in an evangelical environment. There's a lot of non-evangelical churches out there that just don't talk about reaching people for Jesus. 51% of Christian churchgoers. So like I said, we're confused. We're not supposed to talk about Evangelism, but the best thing that could ever happen is for someone to come to know Jesus. How does this work? Can you, I, I can't imagine the confusion that must be in a lot of people's minds where they feel this conviction when they read the word that they're supposed to go do something that Jesus called them to do, yet 
they culturally feel like they're not allowed to. Are you with me now? So what are we supposed to do with this? We're confused. Some of us are even confused about what Jesus said. I mean, over half of Christian churchgoers don't even know what the Great Commission is. I just believe there's a huge gap in one of the fundamental callings of what Christians are called to do. There's a huge gap. And even for us who totally get the Great Commission, there's a huge gap because we get it, but we don't know how to live it. We don't know how to live it, and it's not because we don't want to live it. We just don't really know how to. By the way, the study's not all bad. Um, there are streams of things going on in the world today where God is moving in new ways. There's kind of tailwinds behind some things, even through uh, what the millennials are doing in some new and fresh ways. There are some encouraging things about the possible um, new frontiers, if you will, of evangelism sweeping through our culture. For example, 62% of believing adults, 62% of non-believing, non-Christian adults appreciate spiritual conversation when someone listens without judgment. So that means way over the half of people, adults, appreciate a dialogue about spirituality when it's done with a very generous, grace-giving heart. Hmm. Nine out of ten Christians who had at least one conversation about Jesus and about faith came away more confident to share more. So people aren't walking away discouraged when they talk about Jesus. They're walking away encouraged to talk about him more. So, so when we think, oh, I'm going to go get rejected, even in rejection, people are finding more courage and encouragement to go and share their faith more. So let me ask you, back to this whole language of bringing life to our city. Does bringing life to our city mean getting people saved? <laughs> it's kind of a loaded question, right? In a church like us, I believe this is what most people believe is the bottom line. We measure success on how many people are coming to church and, more importantly, how many people are giving their life to Jesus, and I believe that that's extremely important. It's at the heart of what the gospel is all about. It's what I said, why Jesus was sent, what he called people to do. But what I'm learning is that it isn't the whole story of God and that Jesus did a lot of other things and said a lot of other things. And it takes a whole bunch of other work and other conversations and more prayer and other faith and serving and loving and cooking and cleaning and all sorts of other things that it takes to get people to come to know Jesus. Are you with me? It's not just about the person who's really good at having the conversation. It's about the people who are really good at setting up the conversation. So what many Christians have done is they've found themselves getting frustrated about this conversation because they don't feel like they're very good at evangelism, at about going out and talking to someone and, 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 and literally leading them to Jesus. They don't know how to share their faith, and as we even see cultural statistics show us, they don't even know if they're supposed to share their faith because they feel like it might be wrong to actually share your beliefs with someone that has different beliefs in order to actually convert them to something else. So most adults, I believe, are confused about evangelism, to say the least. And so what Christians have done in light of all that confusion over the last 20 years is they've largely outsourced evangelism. <laughs> they've outsourced it. Much like people do when they send stuff overseas, right? They've outsourced it, and they, they, they outsource it to the, to, the, to the organization of the church. And they think, you know, well, why doesn't the pastor do more altar calls? 
Why doesn't the pastor like have everybody raise their hand at the end of the service? I've seen other churches do that, and the churches that do that, man, they say they do it every week. We've had hands raised every week. There must be a lot of life being brought there, right? And so we think, well, is it, is it raised hands that bring life to a city? And some people go, ah, I don't know about that. It's not about raised hands that bring life to a city. And so we have this confusion. I'm just, I'm just exposing this. Is that okay? Everybody okay with this? Like, the church world has been put on, like, we've outsourced it to the organization of the church to deliver evangelism. And there's, there's so much missing in that and so much wrong about that. Doesn't mean that we would never do an altar call. Doesn't mean that we would never allow people to raise their hand. I gave my life to Jesus by raising my hand. Anybody with me? So I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that that's a wrong thing to do. I believe it can be a very good thing to do. But I also believe that if we believe our only job is to go and be a good person without owning the thing that Jesus was sent to do, I think we're falling short of what Jesus has called you and me to do as people. So back to what I said in the very beginning, I want to grow at becoming more effective at leading people to Jesus. So in 2019, as a church, we want to help close this gap um, we want to have a better understanding of how to help each other and equip one another and how to engage our culture for Jesus. So just so you know, over the course of 2019, this is going to be like we're skipping rocks. We're going to talk about it, and then it's going to all, all of a sudden it's back, and it's back again, and we're going to keep talking about it. This isn't a conversation that's just going to happen today. This is one that's going to happen many times. However, we're also going to create some tools and some resources that are going to help environments for, for conversations that are open dialogue, yet not judgmental in their approach, but one that wants to receive and hear and listen to people because statistics are showing that listening is actually the avenue to being heard. If you want to be heard, we listen first. And so we want to create those sorts of opportunities, and we have some things that we're going to be doing in the future, things like Alpha that I'll talk about more another day. But um, So over the next few months, we're going to be having some discussions. So today, in light of all this, uh, I want to share something fundamental when it comes to the mindset that every one of us must have if we are going to share in this commissioning that Jesus gave us to make disciples. Because here's what I know. As many of us have never shared our faith. We've never shared our faith with another person. I just, I just know that's to be true. And um, we don't even know how we would do it. And I, and I get it. So I want to share something. I, I kind of did this um, a few years ago. At least I drew part of this one I'm about to draw today. Um, and it's always fun when I get to draw because it's not really drawing. I'm just writing words, but I'm not very good at it for some reason on this, this little iPad here. So you guys get to see me misspell or whatever. So I said earlier that Jesus is inviting people into his purpose, into his story, and so this is ultimately what we're doing. Is we're inviting into, he's inviting us into a story. And maybe you've heard this idea that God's story has got a few different parts. It's called a four-part narrative. Anybody heard this before? If you have, cool. If you haven't, here you go. There's a four-part narrative, if you're going to look at the Bible, about what are the big pieces to the story. Is that showing up? Okay, good. <laughs> All right. 
So we got creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. These are the four parts to the narrative of God's story. And so if our goal is to bring life to our city, and if we would say that we think all that that means is we're supposed to get people saved, like there's, there's really no other part to this, like how do we get people saved? And so what happens is people start to focus in on the fact that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? And that we, we need the redemptive message of Jesus. And so what, what, what's going on here is, you know, God created the world, man messed up, he sent Jesus the redemption, redemp, redemptive peace, and then God is going to restore all things. He's going to make all things new. This is what he's going to do. This is where it's all headed. And we live in this space where we're like, people need to understand that they've fallen short of the glory of God and that they need to be redeemed by Jesus. And so this is the story that's been told over and over again, right? Anybody heard this before? It's like, we need, and so when you come to church, you're hoping somebody goes, gets convicted of their sin, and then they're like, oh, I want Jesus. You know what I mean? And so essentially, though, what's happening in this is there's just the half story that's being lived. People are just focusing in on the middle piece, which is the heart and is the most, probably the most important part of the story because Jesus came as the redemptive solution for all that had gone wrong. But there is something to be learned from the whole story of God, not just from the half story. That there's something going on inside of this. And so let's look over here at, cult, or excuse me, at... at uh, Creation for a minute. We'll just go with green here. Because, you know, this is like garden. <laughs> God created something from nothing, right? And he continues to create. You know that God is continuing to create right now. He's writing a beautiful story. It's a story that continues to go on. He's cultivating something. And whenever you create... Whenever God created it, it, it translated into the cultivation of something, something that would continue to reproduce itself. And so if we're going to think about cultivating for just a second, because this is what God called Adam and Eve to do when they got in the garden. He creates them. He says, I want you to cultivate. I want you to you know, organize, arrange, all this kind of stuff. What we're talking about, and I'll just write the word culture for a second, because that'll help us. What we're talking about is essentially the action of creating or the action of cultivating is this word culture. And so cultivating is taking something in its natural state and creating something with it, arranging it, organizing it. So the earliest form of culture, for example, that you can point to in history is agriculture, right? It took the land, it took the soil, it took the earth and arranged it. It gave it order. It gave it purpose. And, and whenever you would actually then say, okay, I'm going to plant a seed here and a seed here and a seed here, all of a sudden the Lord started to bring life right, through the miracle of life, through what he would do through this. And so over time, what you see is God then would actually, not only with Adam and Eve, said, hey, I want you to go and do this, but he placed them in the garden. But even after the fall, he gave man, if you will, the order to go and cultivate the land. He wants it to create it, right? He wants you to create something from nothing. He puts the creative power of his story into the hands of humanity. Are you following me? And for centuries, this act of creating something from nothing, this act of organizing and arranging and making things more complicated, if you will, has been in the, hand, in, in the hands of, of man. This has been our history, right? We've been creating. This is what we do. We create. Centuries of culture creating passed on from generation to generation. Then you get to the Renaissance, right, which was a cultural, so to speak, revolution, 
because it was amped up exponentially by the development of all sorts of technology, things like the printing press and universities and other measures became more available to people and it started to spread this idea of even creating more culture. And now we have these terms where we say, hey, you live a cultured life. And a cultured life means having an expanded and informed understanding of all things that would be considered um, the arts and literature and science and history and, 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 and all sorts of other things that would really signal you. It's like, I understand all of the forms, other types of culture around the world. Therefore, I'm a cultured person, right? Humans create culture. You and I do it every day. You create culture with your family, in your house, at your workplace. We create culture here at this church by the way, by the language we use. The, the most identifying characteristic of any culture starts with language. What's the words that are important to us? That's why we have on our website shared words. The shared words of our community help shape the culture of who we are as a people. And so there's subcultures, there's microcultures, there's macrocultures, there's metacultures, there's all these kind of cultures. We get it. But they're all from this reality that God has given us the ability to create and cultivate something in this world. So the culture we're creating is telling a story. It may be that we're a thoughtful people. It may be that we are a busy people. Anybody have that culture? It may be that we're tired people or a fearful people or perhaps a courageous people. But creating culture, ultimately what I want to say, creating culture is good. But if you really look at it from a four-part narrative, uh-oh, let's go back here. This would be a quarter story, wouldn't it? Creating culture is good, though. This is why I believe we can celebrate anything that has been created for the benefit of people. For example, if you have a business and you build a business and it's successful and you're doing things that are needed in the world today, whether that be things that are just practical things, but then you use that, of course, to hopefully elevate the glory of God. Well, we can celebrate that. God wants us to create and to cultivate and to arrange the world to a more life-giving, peaceful place. And creating can become, just so you know, one of the greatest vehicles for making disciples. That's where this is headed, right? I know people in this room that have used their business for the purpose of making disciples. Or people who have used their, their interests in things like arts or graphic design or their love for making things. This is like the maker you know, generation, right? And they, they share those things to create good in the city. Now, here's the thing. We can do those things and we can just sit in creating and say, oh, I'm a maker. I'm a creator. Or you can actually use that part of the story to introduce them to a larger story. And so what I'm finding is that a lot of people who are really good at creating, when they get kingdom purpose behind their creating, they start to see that there's more to their job and more to the things that they enjoy doing than just creating. I know a person in our church who talks and prays and even opens and discusses the Bible every day with his employees. I know someone who shows up to work every morning, spends time praying. The reason they do it is to pray for opportunities for Jesus to be introduced to their coworkers. The list goes on and on, but here's what I know is people, just so you know, people, people live, work, and play right here, don't they? That's where they live, work, and play. It's an inclusive space. 
And if you're like, I don't have any, I, I don't know how to even connect with people who, you know, aren't believers or whatever. And maybe you're in that Christian bubble. Like, do you create? Maybe this is the space that you connect. It's an inclusive space, one where all people gather. So if you like to create, maybe you could purpose it for Jesus. Endless mounts of people create for the purpose of money and success. What if we trusted Jesus for money and success and actually used creating for the purpose of Jesus? Let's move to this other side for a second. Restoration. This is the other quarter story, right? So Jesus came and he said, I'm going to make all things new in Revelation 21. I'm making all things new. I'm restoring all things. So let's just ask ourselves the question, what are we restoring? We're restoring the things that are broken. So what is broken? (laughs) Anything broken in the world today? Anything at all that anybody can think of? I mean, I don't know. haven't thought of much, but I just wrote a few things down, like people, relationships, um, families, cultural divides of racism, political divides, divides, injustices like world hunger, where one one out of seven people in the world are experiencing hunger or lack of clean water. Uh, poverty, war-torn countries. In our city alone, we have the high, one of the highest rates of sex trafficking activity in the country. In our state, we have some of the highest incarceration numbers in the country. We have addictions, marginalized, hurting people everywhere, right? And in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, we have people who are spiritually depraved and they are lonely people, people who lack relationship, and so they cling to technology and to entertainment into addictions to fill the void of their loneliness. This space of brokenness is gut-wrenching. It's a place that Christians and non-Christians gather, don't they? Because we're all broken, A. And B, most people care about brokenness. You don't have to be a Christian, or you don't have to love Jesus to care about brokenness. So people of all types care about what's broken and where the pain lies in this world. And people everywhere want to do things to help, if you will. People want to serve. People want to help. It's probably why Habitat for Humanity and the Red Cross have a lot of people signing up, right? I believe the church must serve the brokenness of the world. But we cannot make the gospel all about this. And you're like, what what are you saying? I'm saying there are some, and, there is, and this is a world of where social injustices are really elevated because we are seeing them on a global scale, and we're going, wow, we've got to do something about it. And we say, Jesus told us to go do this, and we think this is all that Jesus did. Jesus did this, but this is not why he was sent. Jesus was sent to make disciples, and by the way, as he does it, he's going to restore what's broken. And so we have to be careful as Christians to say, how do we step into restoration and give all we have to that, but know that our job is still making disciples? So how do we make restoration a part of the story, but not the only part of the story? Because here's what I know, is that people have brains and people have hearts. Their brains are used to create, their hearts are used to restore. Every person has a brain and every person has a heart. And I'm just wondering where the church often often finds itself hanging out. I know this is a lot of information, but Today is hopefully laying groundwork, okay? Are, we with, are you guys with me? Yes. The, the church likes to hang out right here, right? 
Because here's what the work of, the, of, of sin and redemption is, is we find ourselves repenting of sin and then engaging in the work of the church and the redemptive work of Jesus, which is worship and prayer and all sorts of other spiritual experiences and all sorts of things. But we can't just, we find ourselves living this half story, but we can't just stay there. We have to learn how to move into all these other spaces, right? We have to live just as much in creating with people and restoring with people as we do in the redemptive work of Jesus. Because here's why I say that. We, we can't pray and worship and see mighty works of God without it, without it leading us to go and do the ultimate work that Jesus called us to do. If we just gather and just pray for more mighty works of God without it leading us to go and actually do the work that he called us to do, we're just going to continue to pray forever. So, I'm about done. Um, what do we do with this? You can take that off. Um, I'm wanting to help us start to see that the story of God is all around you. I know there's a long ways to get to that. But it's all around you in the fact that it's desi- you are designed by God as a creator and as a restorer. Because you have a brain and you have a heart. And our job as the church is to illuminate the good and the God in the creative and in the restoration. Does it mean that you, if you have the gift of evangelism and you're just like, I can just, I can just walk up to somebody and just start talking about Jesus and I can just tell them that they need Jesus in their life and the Holy Spirit convicts them and then they get saved and it just, that's what I do. Well, you have the spiritual gift of evangelism. You get after that. Go do it. For those of us who struggle, who are in the confused state, who don't know how to make disciples in this world, who are constantly going, I don't know what I should do. Maybe we start looking around our life and we start going, we've been living in a bubble and we have to get out and we have to see the vehicles that God has already created in the story of creation and restoration and say, you know what? That is going to be the space where I connect with people and then pray for opportunities for God to open the whole story of God to them. So what am I saying? I'm asking you to start paying attention to your life. Look around the people and places you intersect every day and realize they are brimming with potential to bring life to your city. Everything is. I believe that Jesus wants us to reach every man, woman, and child. We just made how we do that way too small. The story of God is wide open. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I just want to read this to you. He says, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you are living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. You want to know what what else we're finding out from studies that are being done about reaching people for Jesus in today's world, we're not only learning that they, need, they want people who will listen, but they also want people who will open their lives up to them. They want community. We, we, what if hospitality was like the thing for you? And you're like, I'm gonna open up my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna create with people and I'm not just gonna like, oh, we're making things, but then I'm gonna invite them in my life and I'm going to allow hospitality and generosity to be the thing that bonds our hearts and if you're like oh you have an agenda for Jesus no 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 you have an agenda for love and then you let God do the work of salvation when we do the work of love he does his work I 
promise. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to just worship here in a second of just inviting even a declaration in the words we say of, Lord, may we be more aware of your presence and all the things that we do. But I believe it's time to welcome the Spirit of God, if you will, and the things that we do in life. I know it took a long time to get to this, but if I just said that statement, it wouldn't really stick. But we need to invite Jesus and the Spirit into the things we do in life. We spend so much time and energy and money on things that we do in life and we don't include Jesus in them other than in our own brains. And it's time to start including Jesus in the places that we create, which is where we work, where we play, and where we live. And the things that we are looking to restore the place our hearts go to fix the mess of this world. So, my heart is that we become more aware of his presence in those places and that God would start to break your heart for what he has sent us to do and that over this year, we're gonna see God do a, a new work in each and every one of us as he shapes the future of a church that says we aren't gonna outsource evangelism we're going to go be workers in his field. We're going to be the ones that feel like we are sent as he called us. We're going to be his witnesses. And we're going to go and make disciples of all nations. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.